All right, greetings to all of our campuses. Uh, we are so glad you are here. Today is a really special day for Christ community. Today we are beginning a 40-day journey together. We've been talking about this for several weeks, um, and finally we are embarking on this. Our focus for this 40-day journey is the Holy Spirit, how we can experience more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about this in the teaching in our worship services. We're also going to be going through a, a book that I've, I've recently written on this subject. It's called More, and it was written to be a resource for our church to grow in our experience of the Spirit. Um, if you haven't gotten a book yet, you can do so after the services. And, and we've also created a 40-day reading guide for those who would like to walk through this book in a systematic way. You can find the guide um, at uh, More of the Spirit. Um, That's an important uh, website for a number of resources for this. And then finally, we're encouraging everyone to be a part of a more small group during this six-week season. These groups are actually going to start this week. Um, The study guide questions questions can be found at the website that's um, there on the screen, morethespirit.com. We would also love for you to register your group. If you're in a group, you can register your group at that website. Um, And also, um, each week I'm going to be doing a short video, just kind of an intro video uh, on the top, that particular topic, which you can also watch at that website. So if you you haven't found a group yet, it's not too late. We have a number of open groups, so you can join. um, Check out the morethespirit.com for a list of those, um, or your campus information center has a sheet with those listed. Okay, let's dive in. Um, in. In this 40-day journey, we're going to be talking in a very specific way and, and many, many practical ways about how we can experience more of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Now, some of us here are thinking, awesome, I can't wait. But I know there are others of us here who are thinking, I'm not sure I want that. You know, I'm not so sure about that. We're not really sure what to do with this Holy Spirit thing. Maybe you've been taught that it's best to kind of keep a safe distance from the Spirit, to avoid anything really strange or weird happening. Or maybe you've had bad experiences in the past with churches or Christians who were um, into, the, into the Spirit and things got kind of weird or manipulative. I, I remember a number of years ago attending a worship conference in, in Texas, and, and during one of the evening services, they had an invitation for people to come up front and receive prayer for a greater empowering of the Spirit, and I wanted that. I wanted more of the Spirit's power in my life, and so, so I went forward and gathered with a number of other people there, gathered up front, and as I was standing there, people were going around praying for each one of us, and this guy came up to me, and he began praying for me, and he had his hand on my head, and, and as he was praying, I just noticed he started to try to push me over, you know, so I would be slain, whatever, slain in the spirit, right? And I just kept backing up, you know, uh, and I was looking for some guy playing over the barrel or whatever. Remember as kids, they looking for what was going on there because, but he, he was obviously trying to make something happen. And I wasn't about to be manipulated like that. Perhaps you've had some bad experiences in the past where people who claimed to be operating in the spirit were, were instead being weird or just or manipulative. And, and what often happens in response to those kinds of things is that we think to ourselves, if that's what it looks like to experience the spirit, I'm not interested. And so we subconsciously decide to kind of keep 
our distance. We're okay believing in the Holy Spirit and we're okay talking about the Holy Spirit and singing songs about the Holy Spirit, but we're hesitant to actually experience him. I get that. I understand. The problem, however, is that the Christian life was never intended to be lived that way. It would be like trying to ride a motorcycle without gasoline. I mean, yeah, you can get it moving a little bit, and it, you know, but it takes a lot of effort, and it doesn't go very fast. I mean, the Christian life was never intended to be lived with the Holy Spirit at a safe distance. The Holy Spirit is the power that enables us to experience life as God intended. The joy and the peace and the the healing and the hope and the love and and the empowering for ministry and and the self-control to say no to the destructiveness of, of sin. Experiencing the Spirit is normal Christianity. It's normal. The Christian life was designed to be lived in the power and the fullness of the Spirit. To try to do it any other way is to miss out on something huge. And one of the main reasons that I wrote the book more was was because of the number of Christians who long to experience more of the Spirit, but they're also hesitant to do so for fear of things getting weird. And I wanted people to realize that you can go deeper in the spirit without going off the deep end. You you can experience the spirit without all the weirdness. Experiencing the, the, the spirit is normal Christianity. So I'm really excited about this journey that we're on together. I'm excited about all of us really setting aside 40 days 40 days to grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay, well today I want to talk about, I want to talk about the key, the essential um, ingredient to experiencing more of the Spirit. Without this, we will not and cannot grow in our experience of the Spirit. It is absolutely essential. Now, we learn about this essential ingredient in the teaching of Jesus. In John chapter 7, Jesus offers a very brief and yet extremely powerful and foundational teaching about the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, iPad, whatever, a smartphone, turn to John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. We're going to go from 37 to 39 here. Let's look at this together. Let me read this. On the last and greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay, this is God's word. Now, I love this passage. I have a, one a line here on my wall, actually, in my office. I love this passage. We, we learn so much about the Holy Spirit in these few verses here. John tells us that this takes place on the last and greatest day of the festival. The Jewish festival that was happening at that time is known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And one thing you gotta love about the Jewish culture is that those guys knew how to party. They did. And this festival was a week-long celebration of God's provision. It involved rejoicing and and dancing and, and celebrating how God had provided for them in the past. And a crucial part of this whole festival 
was um, the, the symbolism of this festival, a crucial part of it involved water. So every day there was a procession that would go from the pool of Siloam to the temple and, and they would carry water from the pool of Siloam to the temple. And, when, and as the people then, when they got to the temple, as the people were declaring God's praise, this water would be poured out at the temple before the Lord. The water was a tangible symbol of God's provision for his people during their journey in the wilderness years before, where at one point they desperately needed water and God provided miraculously from a rock, right? Water from a rock in the desert. And so we are told that on the last and greatest day of this festival, where this water, they're celebrating God's provision, and this water is being poured out on the steps of the temple, it's being poured out of the temple, Jesus stood, and in a loud voice for everyone to hear, he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This is amazing. Jesus is declaring that he is the one to whom this festival points. Jesus is saying here, yeah, it was cool when God provided water from a rock, you know, hundreds of years ago. That was really cool. But I'm telling you that I am that rock. I am the one who can provide the living water that you need. And not just a pitcher of water. No, he declares that rivers of living water will flow from within anyone who believes in him. Now this imagery, he he says here that scripture, this this scripture talks about this earlier, the imagery harkens back to this picture given to us in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 47, where Ezekiel sees this river in this vision. He sees this river flowing from God's throne. And this river brings life and healing wherever it goes. In fact, at one point, it flows into the Dead Sea. Now, I've actually been to the Dead Sea. In fact, I've actually floated in the Dead Sea. And the reason you float in that water is because the salt content is so high. If you drink that water, you will die. They have signs up all around, don't drink the water, and they're serious here. It is that salty. There is very little life in that sea. But in Ezekiel's vision, this river from God's throne flows into the Dead Sea, into this lifeless, dead place, and guess what happens? Look at verse 8 and 9. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. See, that's the river of God's presence. And that's the river Jesus is talking about. He is talking about us personally experiencing God's presence in a very real way from within us, this presence that brings life out of deadness. So how do we experience this incredible river of Jesus' presence in our lives? Well, John tells us here in verse 39 of John 7, look again at what he says here, by this he, Jesus, meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay, notice what John is saying here. The way we experience this life-giving river of Jesus' presence in our lives is through the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of Jesus in us. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of Jesus in us. This is why Paul sometimes refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of Jesus. When we place our trust in Jesus, we receive his very own presence, i.e. the Holy Spirit, this, this source of life and healing and power, this river of God's presence comes to live in us. Now, as John mentions, this was, this was not a reality for those believers who were initially hearing Jesus' words that day. At that point, the Spirit had not yet been poured out. He had not been yet, yet been given in this way. But if you keep reading in Scripture, right, we find out that after Jesus' ascension, the Spirit, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And from that moment on, the Spirit of God comes to live in anyone and everyone who places their trust in Jesus. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, you have the Spirit living within you. This river of living water comes to, has come to live in you. It's not something you have to work for. It's not something you have to strive to obtain. No, the Spirit of God is yours. He lives in you permanently. You have access to the very presence and person of Jesus because the Spirit lives within you. Now, all of this is incredible news. But it still leaves us with this question. Okay, how do we experience him? I know he lives in me, but how do we experience him? It's great that he lives within us, but how do we experience, how do we access this living water? And I think this is where many of us as Christians, find ourselves. We read in Scripture about what the Spirit can do in our lives, but we look at our own reality and we think, man, I mean, there's a significant disconnect here. There's a disconnect. I don't feel like I'm experiencing this life-giving river of the Spirit that's being described. My spiritual life feels like a trickle, not a river. So how, how can I access this river of the Spirit that Jesus describes here? Well, as I mentioned earlier, there, there is one key ingredient, one crucial heart posture that opens the door for a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus shows us exactly what it is. Look again at verse 37. This is the scripture I have on my wall in my office. Here it is, verse 37 let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Notice the prerequisite to our experiencing this life-giving river of the Spirit. It is not about how many Bible verses we've memorized or, or how few swear words we've used in the last week. 
It's not, it's not about how well we have obeyed or how diligently we have served God in ministry or how many years of Bible school we've attended. No, the, the essential ingredient to our experiencing the Spirit is thirst. Thirst. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Our thirst is what moves us to drink, right? I mean, think about this. If, if, if we had no sensation of thirst in our body, we wouldn't drink water, even if our body desperately needed water. We wouldn't drink water. We'd forget to drink water, right? We, we wouldn't be aware of our need. To thirst is to be acutely aware of our need. When we're thirsty, we feel the need to drink water. And the same thing is true spiritually. When we are spiritually thirsty, we feel the need to drink from the Spirit. There is a holy desperation. There is a yearning for more of Him. So let me just ask, where, where in your life do you yearn for more of the Spirit? Where are you acutely aware of your need and you are desperate for him to show up? Here's here's my hunch as to why we don't experience more of the spirit in our lives. Honestly, here's my hunch. We're not thirsty. We're, We're not that thirsty. Life is going okay. I mean, things are comfortable. It's not that we don't have needs, our marriage, our, our lack of patience with our roommate or our, our lack of compassion for the people we work with or our continual getting you know, beat up by some temptation. I mean, it's not that we don't have needs. The problem is we've become comfortable with where things are at. We're, we're not that desperate for the Spirit of God to come in power. We're not thirsty. And that's a significant problem when Jesus' invitation for us to experience the Spirit hinges upon our thirst, our awareness of our need. If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. A friend of mine was getting ready for a hunting trip recently. He was in charge of the food, um, and so he figured out how many calories each guy would need, and he told the guide how much he was planning on purchasing, um, and the guide said, cut that in half. My friend said, what? I mean, why? Cut it in half. I figured out that the calorie count and what people are supposed to have, why cut it in half? And the guide said, people hunt better when they're hungry. People hunt better when they're hungry. Why? Because they're more focused, they're more earnest, they're more aware of their need. And they don't hunt as well when they're satisfied. Spiritually speaking, we hunt a lot better when we're hungry. When we are not satisfied with how our lives are, compared to what God desires for us, when we're not satisfied with that gap. How needy are we for God's spirit to move in our lives? Is there a hunger? Is there a yearning for more of God's spirit? Or have we just become complacent? You know, if if we're honest, we probably all can admit that there is way too much complacency in our lives 
as it relates to our relationship with God. So what do we do about that? I mean, complacency is a really hard thing to address because we're fairly complacent about it, right? Um, It's kind of hard to address. Well, God has actually has a tool in his tool belt that he often uses to break through our complacency. And that tool is our weakness, our weaknesses. There, there, are, there, are, there are various ways that he uses this weakness thing, where various ways it can manifest itself. But one way, and I'll mention a couple here, but one way, one way is through our failures. Our failures, those areas of our lives where we continually struggle. You know, we may think that that area, whatever it is, is a negative thing in our lives. Right? It's a negative thing, but check out Paul's perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Just to set the context, he was given a thorn in the flesh by Satan. We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was, but Paul pleaded three times for the Lord to take this away, to remove it, so he didn't have to struggle with it anymore. And this is, what, this is where he pleaded with it three times, and God said no, and then we read this in verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, notice what Paul says. This is so counterintuitive. Notice what he says here. He says, I will boast in my weaknesses. Rather than running from our weaknesses or ignoring them, Paul says he boasts in them. Why? Because by admitting his weaknesses, Christ's power, i.e. the Holy Spirit, can rest on him. What if, what if we saw our weaknesses and our failures through this lens? Through this lens here. Not as, as things to be ignored or minimized. What if we saw them as opportunities to experience a greater dependence upon the Holy Spirit? That's a radical idea, but it's right here. I mean, what, what is that thing for you? Maybe it's a long-term struggle with same-sex attraction. Maybe it's a continual battle with lust or with greed or with anger. Whatever it is, it's something you know is not right and it causes you a tremendous amount of shame and struggle and frustration. But what if rather than viewing it through the lens of something I need to get out of my life, something I need to get fixed. What if you saw it through the lens of 2 Corinthians 12 as a weakness that is actually causing you to rely more fully on Christ, to depend more fully on his spirit than you ever would without that struggle? In in a weird way, maybe that weakness is a gift forcing you and me to be thirsty for God's Spirit. In a weird way, maybe it's actually a gift, forcing us to be thirsty for God's Spirit. 
So God uses our failures, our struggles sometimes. Another way this weakness thing manifests itself is when we place ourselves in a context of weakness and inadequacy by stepping out of our comfort zone and doing something risky for God. Taking a risk for God, like uh, going on a mission trip, for instance. Suddenly the leader turns to you and says, hey, why don't you preach today? Or why don't you uh, share your testimony in the next five minutes at this service? Gulp, you know. Um, I, I had one of those experiences on a mission trip a few years ago in the middle of uh, Uganda. And, and uh, uh, we walked into this room um, expecting just a few people hanging out. We were just going to visit informally with them. We walked in and there were a hundred people that had been waiting for three hours for us to arrive and hear us speak. And I didn't have anything prepared, which was terrified, terrifying for me. I'm a scripted guy. Um, I like to be prepared. Um, and so I was terrified. But you know what? In, in that moment, or maybe three, four minutes there where I knew I had to speak, in that moment, those moments, I, I, I was thirsty. I mean, I was really thirsty. I needed the Spirit to show up because I didn't have anything. I needed Him to show up. And I was desperately asking Him to do so. And He did. And He did. A passage came to my mind and, and, and some things to share about it. He showed up when I was thirsty. I mean, even though we, we hate being weak, we hate being inadequate, in those moments of desperation for him, he does his best work. He does his best work. In fact, here's, a, here's an often overlooked truth. The Spirit waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. He doesn't force his way into these areas of our lives. He doesn't force his way in. He waits for us to want him, for us to need him. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. In, in our thirst, in our desperation, in our need, we come to him and drink. And what does Jesus say happens? Streams of living water flow from within us. Streams of living water, a river of living water flows when we're thirsty. What's often overlooked in this passage is that Jesus' language is not describing a one-time event. He's, he's not talking about only how we can initially receive the Spirit, as if, oh, you got it one time and you're good for the rest of your life. No, no, no. The language is very clear here. He is describing a continual reality, a continual experience. More of the Spirit is always available to us. He longs to fill us with his life and his power and his joy and his peace and his love. But again, the problem is often we're not very thirsty for him. And as a result, we don't drink deeply of him. Where are you thirsty for God's presence? Where are you acutely aware of and desperate for the Spirit of God to show up, for the Spirit of God to help you? Where are we needing the Spirit to bring a greater experience of love or joy or peace or 
patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the fruit that he's, he's well able to, to do, right? Where, where are you needing him to show up? In your marriage, in your workplace, in your ministry, in your relationships? Are you acutely aware of your need? Are we acutely aware of our need? That's a critical first step in experiencing the Spirit. It's critical. In fact, this is, I believe, why in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus was telling the disciples that they were going to receive power, right? Acts 1, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. Amazing things are going to be happening throughout the whole world. This is your mission, right? In that moment, they're hearing this, and they must have thought, oh, this is awesome. I can't wait. You know, power, yeah, this is going to be great. And so what does Jesus tell them to do to receive this power? Acts 1 verse 5, Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the gift my Father promised. You've got to be kidding me. These guys were probably in it thinking that there is a world to be won. There is ministry that that needs to happen. People are in need. And yet Jesus says, wait. Why did he say wait? Here's my theory. It's because when we have to wait, we are reminded that we're not in control. Right? We're reminded that we're not in control. We are reminded of our dependence upon him. Waiting can increase our sense of need, our sense of desperation, and that's a really good thing. That can be a really good thing because the Spirit waits to be wanted. He wants to be wanted by us. Okay, so what do we do with this thirst? So we're aware of our need. What then? What what does it look like to do this come to me thing that Jesus talks about in verse 37 of John 7? Well, 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 Jesus actually tells us in another passage in Luke chapter 11, there's a very powerful next step that Jesus urges us to take. Look with me at Luke 11, beginning in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, this is a very familiar passage where Jesus urges us to ask, to seek and knock, and the language used here um, indicates an earnestness, a, a continuous experience. This isn't just a one-time thing. This is a continuous experience. Ask and keep on asking. and Seek and keep on seeking. And knock and keep on knocking. There is a sense of holy desperation that Jesus is describing, an earnestness in prayer. But this earnestness is rooted in God's love for us, right? It's not this, God's not this ogre, you know, oh, I just love for them to be desperate for me. You know, that's not the context here. Look at what Jesus says in verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I mean, good fathers don't do that. Jesus is reminding us that in prayer, we are coming to our loving Father. So it's not a, about this, you know, desperation in, in a negative way. It's, this is our Father. He wants us to want Him. But we often, what we often miss in this passage is the what for which Jesus urges us to ask, seek, and knock. Look with me at verse 13 
In fact, let's, let's all read this out loud together. If we're able to do that. Maybe not. Don't read it out loud with me. I'll just read it. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All all of this asking and seeking and knocking ultimately points toward a deeper experience of the Spirit. The Father is eager to give more of the Spirit to those who earnestly ask and seek and knock. That's where we are to go with our thirst. In our awareness of our need, in our weakness, in our sincere desire for transformation and for greater impact, In our waiting, we are urged by Jesus to ask him and keep on asking him for more of the Spirit. Even though he lives within us, he waits to be wanted. He longs to pour out streams of living water within us and through us to other people and to the lives of others. But he realizes we have to be thirsty in order to fully drink of his presence. In the book, more, I tell the story of D.L. Moody, who in the late 1800s was actively involved in ministering to large crowds of people presenting the claims of Christ. From the outside, anyone would say that he was effectively doing this. He was effectively proclaiming the gospel. But one day, after a speaking engagement, he was walking out of the building to get into his carriage, and an old man came up to him, came up to Moody, and pointing a bony finger in his face, (laughs) he said to him, honor the Holy Spirit. Honor the Holy Spirit. And Moody, after that, for weeks after that, those words... He just couldn't forget that. Those words kept playing in Moody's mind. Even though he was active in ministry, he began to wonder, am I I missing what God has for me, some of what God has for me? Am I experiencing all God has for me? And so a thirst, a thirst began to be awakened in him a holy desperation. This is the guy who's serving God, and yet a thirst was awakened. And here's how he described what happened weeks later. And there came a great hunger into my soul. I knew not what it was. I began to cry as never before. The hunger increased. I really felt that I did not want to live any longer if I could not have this power for service. I kept on crying all the time that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I had to ask him to stop. 
I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. The Spirit waits to be wanted. He's not waiting for us to get our act together. He's not waiting for us to clean up our lives. He's waiting for us to be thirsty for him. That's it. (laughs) That's it. He's waiting for us to be thirsty for him. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So how thirsty are we? Let's pray together. At all of our campuses, let's pray together. Pray with me. I want you, I want all of us just to quiet our heart and ask that question, where are you thirsty for more of God's power? There may be some of you here I want to give a couple of responses here just with, while your head is bowed and you're just in this posture of prayer. But there may be some of you here and the longing for you is to take this first step. In the message I said, if, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, the spirit lives in you. And there are some of you here that maybe you've not placed your trust in Jesus. What I mean by that is a lot of times we think that being a Christian is about just trying hard to be a good person and follow the golden rule and all that. And that's not it. That doesn't get us to God. Jesus came to die on the cross because we were sinners in need of a Savior. We were drowning. We needed someone to rescue us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And so you can enter into a relationship with God by placing your trust in Jesus. And when you do that, you receive this Holy Spirit of Jesus. So there may be some of you here and you're not sure if you have the Spirit in you or not. And, and I just want to lead you in a prayer where you can make sure you can place your trust in Christ. Pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I realize you are holy and I'm not. I'm separated from you because of my sin, but I don't want to be separated from you. I want you to live in me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I choose to place my trust in him alone. I bring to you my whole self, my failures, my sins, my fears, all my attempts to be a good person. I bring all of that to you and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I ask you to forgive my sin, all of it, past, present, and even the sins I haven't committed yet. Forgive all of that, and I ask you now to come live in me through the presence of your Spirit. I receive you, Holy Spirit. Come live in me. Father, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live in them, and I pray they would grow in this relationship with you. They would grow in this relationship with you. And if you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to jump into our Alpha course on Wednesday nights just as a way to grow. You can find out more about our website, the website, but just to grow in that relationship.
Okay, another response here. For those of us, we have the spirit. We have this river of living water flowing within us. But we want to experience more. And even as the word is going forth, as, as, as you're sitting there tonight, there's, there's a stirring perhaps happening in your heart. There's a thirst. Maybe it's an area of weakness, a sin you struggle with. Uh, and, 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 and maybe you're just praying for God to remove it from you. And maybe the Lord is saying, you know what? My grace is sufficient and my power is made perfect in weakness. You run to me with that weakness. Be thirsty for more of me. That weakness drives you to me. Or maybe it's a, the thirst is an area of, of, of risk, an area where God is asking you to step out and, and you've been hesitant to do that and because it just feels kind of risky and the Lord's saying, man, that's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sh- that's when I show up is when you're taking these risks, when you're stepping out of your comfort zone. Or maybe some of you just in this season of waiting where the Lord just wants to remind you he's the one that's in control. But however, wherever it's coming from, this thirst, do you have this thirst? Are you thirsty for more of him? God, we are thirsty. We ask for you. You know these, these situations, we long for you to pour out your power. And, and some of us, Lord, we, we admit, we've just kind of given up. We've become complacent. Maybe these, these areas of need in our lives, we just kind of become complacent about these things. And Lord, we, we run to you. We cry out to you. We ask, we seek, we knock in our thirst for more of you. Holy Spirit, we want more of you. We need more of you. So come, Holy Spirit. We want to, we want to, taste of and wade into and swim in this river of your healing and your life and your presence. We want that. So awaken in us thirst. Awaken in us a greater thirst for you. We pray. Just tell the Lord you're thirsty for him. Just in the quiet of your heart. Ask him for more. More of him. More of his spirit. to a time of worship where the worship team can lead us, just can lead us in, in some songs where we can wait on the Lord, where we can open our heart, where we can cry out for more of him and just, just to be in the Spirit's presence. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to happen here, just that we would be in the Holy Spirit's presence, welcoming him in greater ways. So why don't we stand at whatever campus you're at. Just stand, if you would. We have intercessors available around the room. 
at our campuses wearing red lanyards. If you have any need, you want someone to pray with you specifically, we encourage you to slip out of your seat and go over to these folks. They would love to do that. So Lord, here we are. We are in your presence. We are asking for more. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come. We are thirsty for you. We are thirsty for you, God.